Good afternoon and welcome to this CND webinar sponsored by Activists. I'm James Waldron, news editor of CND, and I'm here with my co-chair, CND editor Jennifer Richardson. And we've got a great panel of speakers for today's topic, which is the National Pharmacy Flu Service. So I'm just going to first of all ask the speakers to introduce themselves one by one. So We can start with you, Kenny. I'm Kenny Gibson. I'm Head of Early Years Immunisations and Military Health Commissioning for London Region. Hi, I'm Amish Patel and I'm an independent pharmacist from the Kent area. Uh, Rekha Shah and I lead, I'm the LPC lead on the Immunisation Service in London. Uh, thanks for that. And on the phone we also have our fourth panellist. So Mandeep, if you could just introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mandeep Baveja. I'm a salaried GP in South West London. Great, thanks Mandeep. And of course the fifth panellist is you, the listener, and we'd like to hear your views too. So if you want to share perspective or ask our panellists a question, just type it into the box below the slides and we will bring in as many of them as possible at relevant points as the debate progresses. And if you're on Twitter, you can also use the hashtag FarmFlu to join in. And for those of you that can't be here today but also wanted to contribute, we're going to be bringing in the results of our pre-webinar polls that we were hosting on the website over the last week. The debate itself is going to last around an hour and we'll be wrapping up at 4pm. Right, so that's housekeeping out of the way. Let's get started. Today's, day is, uh, today's topic sorry, is especially timely as the National Pharmacy Flu Service went live exactly two weeks ago today. Despite some initial hiccups, such as delays, the publication of essential documents and a lack of a national IT system, anecdotal evidence that we've received suggests that the service is up and running across the country. So over the next hour, we're going to look at not only the preparation for the service, but how the delivery is going at the moment and the future of the service. But first of all, I'd like to turn to Rekha and Amish to hear about how the service is already going in both of your areas. So Amish, you want to tell me how it's going in Kent at the moment? So uh, it's going well. Uh, we had our LPC meeting last week, which reported it. Most of our pharmacists are all trained up and have begun delivering. So it's the first time in Kent, so it's going to be a little bit slow to pick up, uh, but we're registered and we're, go we're going. So. And what's the reception from patients been so far? Patients, it's been fantastic. Um, even my first flu vaccines, which I've done on Monday, uh, people were excited. They were very happy that they could get in to the, get their vaccines done because actually all the GP local to us, they're already fully booked for their vaccine appointments. So. And Rekha, with the kind of, you know, if you want to explain a little bit about how Pharmacy London's been involved in uh, mm. flu vaccinations this year and in previous years. Yes. Um, we started three years ago uh, when um, uh, Kenny um, and Lon NHS England in London commissioned a flu vaccination service, which was purely flu at that time. And we had a slow start. Um, we had very little time to get ready then as well. But we got it going and we did really well beyond what was expected and our own expectations, really, and built on that and the fact that patients loved it. Uh, and the feedback that we got and the commissioners got, um, that was built upon um, a little more the following year and with the addition of pneumococcal vaccine in that service as well. And that um, was fantastic. We did um, about 117,000 vaccinations plus last year. So it was a big build. Um, it was received again really well. And in fact, uh, people and Londoners were asking for more. So we built on that this year. We decided to go with the same. That's what the commissioner wanted. Um, set the service up virtually before we heard that there was a national service uh, being commissioned across the whole country. And so, um, uh, you know, a few changes here and there. But to be quite honest, London pharmacies and pharmacists are really ready, um, and they have been. So they've started going. They've had an early start. 
this year because uh, once the vaccines arrived, um, London had commissioned them to uh, start, even though the national service didn't go live straight away because uh, the paperwork, etc., was being awaited and more detail. And they've had a fantastic start. So, I mean, you mentioned there briefly about the kind of preparation for the service. You had, you know, a local service going uh, and then you had the national service come along and you've kind of had to phase that into each other. Yes. I mean, I suppose it's a good time to start off talking about the preparation for the service because we've had a lot of feedback for that. Um, obviously, there were some initial delays before pharmacists had the documents they needed before they could start delivering it. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had the kind of issue with NHS England revealing we weren't going to have a national IT service to, um, for pharmacists to let GPs know about vaccinated patients. Um, I mean, it's a good time for us to bring in our initial uh, poll result, which is about, um, you know, if there's one area that, that pharmacists thought there could be uh, room for improvement in the national service in terms of how it was prepared. Um, it was interesting that the most popular uh, point that readers picked up on was that they wanted the document published by NHS England earlier. Mm. And I wondered, um, Kenny, from your kind of NHS England point of view, do you know any of the reasons for the delays and whether we're likely to see that happen again in next year? I think the, the sort of delays are often caused because the governance structures and infrastructures around a new regime, a new delivery model, can take up to uh, 12 weeks, 10 weeks to process through the governance systems because we want to make it right as we deliver new regimes. We've got to give the public and the contractors confidence that everything is sound, evidence-based and correct. And so it's not unusual for new regimes to take at least eight weeks Uh, to deliver. Certainly the first time we did it in London, we did it in four weeks, but uh, that was very controlled. Uh, But this this time it's taken us eight weeks to get paperwork ready, etc. And governance takes time if you're going to do it correctly. And Rekha, you've been on kind of the sharp end of governance trying to organise vaccines at a London level. Um, You know, how did you find it? Um, We've it was hard work. That first year, we had four weeks to get it up and running, and it was hard work. However, some of us had already been commissioned to provide vaccinations from the PCT days, so there was a little experience there, etc. And then it actually evolved, so we got it all ready, but there were changes, you know, tweaks to be made, etc., as we went along. But we were lucky. Uh, IT platform was uh, virtually ready and able to be started within four weeks as well. Um, it was hard work getting it sorted, but... It was sorted. There was a small team uh, that we set up. It was a steering group uh, with NHS England people, you know, clinical leads as well as, you know, uh, IT leads and um, uh, contracting, commissioning. And then there was the LPC uh, people, and we all had our own strengths we brought to the table and got it up and running. It was, it was, it is doable. So that's why even this time uh, when we had only a window of, I think, once the announcement was made, people were panicking. Um, you know, we said, actually, we did it once. Okay, it was across London. That's a fifth of the country, kind mm. of, you know, pharmacy-wise. So if we could do it, then it can be done. And Not- I think people have. People have really uh, got going. And remember, we are in a better position this year than three years ago mm. because a lot more commissioning has happened across the country. So there were, in most areas, there was commissioning of some kind or the other. So there were pharmacists in each area that were already providing vaccination. So that, that, in that way, um, we were in a better position this year, I think. And have that, did that make it easier for pharmacy teams or was there some issues where actually in some ways it makes it harder that you had one service mm. already going and you've got to shift to a to a new service specification mm. with new requirements and new paperwork? Yes. I think, um, in, uh, sorry, I think, I don't know if Kenny, you want to uh, 
put in something before I, I say the pharmaceutical. I think part of the biggest lead-in uh, time that involves in any new intervention is actually, as Rekha pointed out, the workforce development. So getting pharmacists trained up to a PGD level that is NHS compliant takes time. And we're very fortunate. We, we've carried our pharmacists who are trained and PGD compliant forward. Some other parts of the country will have to new train staff to mm -hmm. vaccinate vaccines. You know, it's a, it's a challenging time, that workforce development. But it's important for, for sort of confidence building in the population mm -hmm. that people are well trained. Um, so it's a workforce development that can't take mm -hmm. several weeks to get right. Mm -hmm. And in terms of um, uh, the the difference between the local service and the national service, I think in most places the local service has been superseded by the national service, um, so it's fairly straightforward. In London, however, the local service is a bit wider, quite a bit wider than the national services, and the additional elements, or what I call the top-up elements, are still being commissioned. So in effect, we're running two services side by side, and that in itself has had some, some problems that we've had to deal with, but I think we're getting there. Um, people seem to be delivering well, so obviously they are understanding, you know, and they're very, very different services uh, to a certain extent uh, in terms of the cohorts of patients. They have two separate PGDs, and in the London service there's also pneumococcal vaccine, so there's another two PGDs to do with that, um, and then there is all the paperwork is totally different. The National Service has brought out its own paperwork after ours was created, and it's totally different as well. So people have to manage with two lots of forms, two patient surveys, all the PGDs, uh, etc. So there's a bit of confusion, but it is getting there. I mean, a few things there, the training and, you know, having um, come to different services running at once with different paperwork can put under the umbrella term of bureaucracy, which was the second biggest kind of bugbear that our readers um, raised. I wonder, Amish, from a contractor point of view, if you could tell me a bit about the bureaucracy you've had to kind of go through, and then we could maybe expand it to talk about whether this is an inevitable part of the service or if this could be streamlined for future. I mean, I, I think it could be streamlined for the future if uh, it was prepared in the right way with the right timeframes. I mean, yes, as pharmacists, we have now successfully started the service. That's probably one of our strong points as pharmacists. We adapt, we, we get on with it. But is it right? Should NHS England be able to push us this way every time? I don't agree with that. Although we're off to a good start, could we have been off to a better start at this present time? Most likely, because, you know, if, if we were given the right amount of time to arrange training, more pharmacists would probably be trained already. They'd be delivering the service from now. So we could have, you know, I think when, when we come to review the service at the, end of the year, at the end of the year, if we have fallen short ever so slightly, these kind of things need to be considered at the same time, that we could have probably met better numbers, had more people vaccinated even by today if the appropriate time was given to us. And it shouldn't be allowed to continue like this every time whereby we just get on with it. Um, and it's difficult as a contractor, you know, especially as an independent contractor even so. As if you've got, you're the only pharmacist in your pharmacy, how do you take the time out to prepare the, for the service? How do you take the time out to get training done for the service? As well as make sure your pharmacy is still running with the day-to-day -day services and day-to-day -day running in general. Um, it, it's very difficult. If I play devil's advocate for a second, um, Nick Hunter, 
who's an LPC chief officer, was in touch uh, earlier today with some kind of questions to add to the webinar. Um, he said he was getting several queries a day which demonstrate that some pharmacists were not aware of the published details that were readily available on the PSNC website. You know, this was hindering some of them. And I wondered if, you know, you, Amish, it sounds to me like one of the reasons for that is they simply don't have the time. Uh, maybe from your view, Rebecca, I don't know, do you feel that contractors are doing everything they can to prepare or is there, should they be more prepared themselves? Well, can I say to that? It's not yeah, sure. just the time, but the, actually when you work through a documentation, it, it's pretty clear, but you've, you've got to really take the time to decipher and everything that's in there. And there's so many steps to getting registered to this process. I think people start reading it and almost get put off. It, it can be quite daunting. As an LPC member, I've received many phone calls for support. And you, know, you really have to break it down, do this, do this, and do it. So the documentation, again, if it had been, have you had more time to be developed, I reckon that it could be better published, be more understandable for us to read and put into place. I think it's a step-by-step -step process, and um, people don't seem to be following it. So where they get the guidance, and remember PSNC published a guidance document, and if you were to read it from the front to the back in the right order, it made everything very clear. And in my supporting uh, contractors with the National Service, what I found is people read the document so they think they know it so they carry on to the next section or you know go to the back first and start in the middle so all the questions they had when I opened up I said open up your document and look at this look at that it was all there and they said so I said you told me you'd read it and they hadn't and then they admit it so it's it's human nature you know, people are in a rush because they think, oh, I need to get this going. So they rush it through. And if people take the time, sit down, get really familiar with what's there, actually it is, it, it is a step-by-step -step process that they follow and it should be fine. Although some, some readers have emailed us in advance suggesting that the declaration of competence that. process was quite onerous mm -hmm. and people seem yes. to be struggling with that. And I think for a lot of people that might be the first time they've used the de mm -hmm. declaration of competence right. process. Yeah. Um, so I guess views on that, Kenny, like the, the decision to use that process? Um, well, that process is not unique to pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Declaration mm -hmm. of competence is now standard practice when we're trying to get increased capacity of a professional clinical service, whether it's nursing, whether it's pharmacy, whether it's medicine, everyone is going through the process of self-declaration or revalidation or certificate of competence. Um, and I think it's just the modern way that professional practitioners work. Yes, there's always a cliff edge regime by which you have to declare your own competence. It so happens to be seasonal flu this year for some pharmacies. But, you know, once you're on that journey, all other new interventions, public health or direct delivery interventions, vaccinations or other PGDs, will actually become simpler because, as Rekha pointed out, a process, once you've done it two or three times, you can build it into your, your own professional practice that every year in August you get yourself revalidated or you get yourself re-competency statemented. And so you begin working that type of year and preparation for under your own uh, professional code of conduct. And to be quite honest, um, this is a good way of assuring the commissioner that you're competent to provide the service. So, and it's much easier than having to have, go through a process of training and producing the, you know, keeping a 
paper copies of um, all the documentation, you know, the certificates, etc., submitting them to do that over, you know, 1,200, whatever, of pharmacies, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult, I would think. Um, so this is a far better way. We started using the Declaration of Competence last year yes. in London, yes. um, and it People did find it then uh, a little onerous in terms of um, it was a bit confusing. It was the first time they were doing it. This year, it's been a lot easier. The problem in London this year uh, obviously has been that we have a declaration of competence for our London service, which is a little bit, uh, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, well, it's a little bit more than the declaration of competence for the national mm. service. And we did ask if one... The one having done the London one, which actually covered everything in the national one anyway, if that would be acceptable, and um, you know, which mean, meant that pharmacists would find it a lot easier, and it would remove that that element um, of having to do it twice over. And we were told that the national service had to have its own mm -hmm. declaration of competence, and that confused a lot of pharmacists this year, and they couldn't understand that. But um, eventually, I think we are getting there in mm. the sense that most people have done it. Uh, before they started, they had to go away. Um, but it's it's an easier once they've done it once, they'll be able to do it for other things yeah. as well. You know, other other services as well. I'm just going to pick up on I think um, a bit of concern about the delay before I think probably we'll move move on a bit. But one of the concerns about the delay is that you know I think you you touched on it earlier, Amish. It's that idea that you know pharmacists are going to be judged on a kind of un, unlevel playing field because the numbers they've done and perhaps kind of catching up with other people delivering the service who maybe started from right at the beginning of the mm. flu service, you know, and not really feeling sure about the declaration of competence process, all of those things we've just been talking about, you know, if that means that pharmacy overall over the whole country is a bit slower to kind of get the numbers for this year's service, what's that going to kind of mean for the future? I guess that's a question for you, Kenny, really. Um, I think in any in any new regime that we commission either for England or for a region, we understand that there will be a phased approach to activity. As Rekha pointed out, we had 37,000 vaccines and we were absolutely brilliantly happy with that. And then second year, we went up to 75, then 136,000. You know, commissioners understand you're never going to capture the whole population when a regime is new. There's an introductory phased approach to that. So uh, I think whether pharmacies will be judged or not will be back to a point that Rekha made. It's the patient voice that will judge them. Mm. So as, as more and more patients uh, say, I enjoyed the experience, I enjoyed the access, and you know something, I want more of it, do more, do better, that sort of feedback is, is much a judgment on the new service um, as what will also be the, the, the evaluation outcome, the academic evaluation outcome will be another judgment. But, you know, every person jabbed in a pharmacy in England is a person protected, whether it's one mm -hmm. or 100,000. So we really need to celebrate everyone being jabbed and every contact counting. Well, I suppose just the last point in preparation before we move on to kind of other areas of the service, there's a couple of people who got in touch earlier said that they ideally wanted at least six months notice to really kind of gear themselves up to deliver it. I wondered, um, you know, what everyone thought about, A, maybe how realistic that is, and B, how much different that would have made this year. I think, it, you know, I, I said myself, three to six months, but you also got to look at the time of year that you announce something like this. Mm. 
a few, you know, three months, in my opinion, could be more more than enough. But announce it in the middle of summer holidays, that's a big problem. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, as a pharmacy owner, yeah, six months is is actually ideal because you've got to factor in people have got holidays, pharmacists have booked holidays, your staff have booked holidays, and all these kind of things also play into it as well. So no matter what time of the year you do announce it, you've got to account for well, training needs to be organised. You've got to fit it in around all the other things that come, you know, aspects which probably don't get considered at the time of announcement. Um, so six months, I would probably very much agree with it, but a minimum three months. I would say that's true, but also if you're going to get it all because of needing that extra time, I'd rather have the service this year across the country than have had it delayed till next year to get all that side of things right. And you that, know what I mean? That comes back to where I said we, as pharmacists, we and independent, well, independent in, as uh, community pharmacists, we actually just get on with it and we always try to make it succeed no matter what. So that mm. element is there. But yeah, perfect world, three to six months. Uh, as a commissioner, this has been an annual cycle since vaccinations were given um, back in the 1950s. And now that this new contractor group will be begin being engaged with the uh, seasonal vaccinations, then routinely there will be a, a January discussion for next year, then a June discussion for mm. next year. It becomes part of our business cycle. It becomes part of our commitment to populations that we will start earlier each year and we'll, we'll be up and running and ready for September next year. Um, well, I guess moving on to one area of preparation that also kind of expands the scope a little bit of the flu service. Um, it was, let me get, 13% of readers said that the biggest change they want to see was greater support from GPs. And obviously one of the key, you know, it was, we were told by PSNC when the service was launched that you didn't need to have support from GPs to make this work, but obviously it does, does help a lot. Um, uh, we've obviously polled readers again on what their um, their relationships with GPs have been like on the service. Interestingly, 30% said that they felt GPs were resistant to pharmacies delivering the service, while well, the 44% said they'd had no contact with GPs in relation to the service. In fact, only 9% said they'd actually been supported by GPs to deliver it. So first of all, Amish, if we just go down to a grassroots level, I wonder if this is your experience of um, GPs' attitude to this service. It, it, my personal experience for my own pharmacy, not so much. Um, you know, I, I spoke to them this morning and they were quite happy. They said they're fully booked. We're going to be directing everyone to you. So um, but that was only today after so many weeks. And I also know what's gone on in terms of how they've pushed their numbers up. But then, as Kenny said before, everyone vaccinated is the aim of this. Speaking with my LPC hat on, um, I've heard of some horror stories of GPs really pushing through that. Don't go to your pharmacy. You're not going to get as good a vaccine or as good a service or it's not as safe, whatever it might be. Basically, hint saying to patients, you're better off getting it from the GP practice. What their reasons for it, I don't know. Actually, I saw on social media that there was a letter which went out to patients from a GP practice saying very much the same thing. So that kind of thing is very disappointing to see. We're here to, at the end of the day, get patients vaccinated in the interest of patients. It's not a competition between us and the GPs, is how I see it. Well, I think that's probably a good opportunity to find out um, perhaps how one GP uh, thinks. Mandy, uh, hope, hopefully you're still there. Um, what's your view yeah. on kind of some of what um, Amish has, has said about uh, the experience he's having at a local level? Yeah, so um, I've been listening with interest to everything. Um, I mean, just just sort of my thoughts on what, what's been said so far. Um, I, I've had the pleasure of working with l lots of lots of different pharmacists in, in lots of different areas and 
99% of the time they're, they're, they're nothing but helpful, nothing nothing but supportive and um, I find them really, really useful. They, they really help me get through my day. So just first of all, just, just to reflect that back, um, I, I very much understand about the idea of, of support and, and wanting support and I think that, that you know, they should only be administrating them if they do feel confident and if, if they don't feel confident or it's going to distract from the excellent other jobs that they do, then then that should be taken sort of into consideration and people should either adequately be supported or um, it should be delegated. Um, and, and the only other thing is, um, is obviously sort of um, communicating back to, to the GP. It's nice to know when something's taken place and with with care being sort of available at so many different points nowadays you know just thinking away from flu vaccinations with you know out out of hours care and things it's always nice to get a little bit of communication back and and that's that's very helpful um i i personally don't see any sort of harm into you know or i i think it can only be beneficial the more access that that people have to to food apps um, you know, be that w wherever they get it, as long as long as it's done appropriately, um, because it has massive benefits in terms of preventing other sort of exacerbations of other comorbidities such as asthma, heart failure, um, and um, it also does sort of you know often we are sort of saturated and we're, we're squeezing people in or doing those those flu jabs sort of within routine appointments, which obviously take you know takes takes time um, and and sort of you know then you know we're running late and and things so I think anyone who can do it should should be allowed to do it as long as it's done safely and they're not distracting from their other tasks that they, that they do so well uh, I think uh, Kenny wants to come in no? uh, I think one uh, two things springs to mind here I think there are certain intercontractor or interdisciplinary relationships that are most unhelpful and uh, these sort of anecdotal or very real incidents between a GP and a pharmacy do need to be dealt with locally they need to be restored uh, the, the patient is ultimately at the centre of all these interactions and whether it's the GP or whether it's the pharmacist people need to understand that that type of interdisciplinary friction and conflict is, is not helpful when you're trying to deal with a, a population intervention, rolling it out across public. Uh, uh, the, the other thing is that in general practice, I can't speak for the other regions, but general practice simply at the moment don't have the capacity to deliver the increasing number of vaccines out there. In London alone, we've calculated that we need an extra 2.1 million, 2.1 million extra vaccination appointments if we're to deliver all vaccines to all at-risk Londoners between September and February. No single contractor group can deliver that. So whether it's pharmacies or district nursing or community teams, we need to increase access for where people go and sometimes general practice is just so chocker with uh, important appointments that another capacity elsewhere can actually relieve them of that pressure uh, to, in order for them to concentrate on diagnosing and treatment plans. So, uh, like my colleagues, we, we've got practices that have got posters up, please do go to the pharmacy. 
and we've had one or two incidents where there's still a fractured relationship that we're trying to resolve locally. But on the whole, I think as it as it's proceeded over the last three years, it has actually got better. I think people are beginning to understand the benefits that pharmacy brings to a general practice, and general practice brings to a pharmacy, and in the centre of it is a patient-centred care, particularly for mental health patients and particularly for carers of people as well. It's good to, good to hear that London experience that over time it, it's definitely improving. Yeah. In terms of um, kind of other areas where perhaps the flu service is not quite so, um, you know, been around for such a long time, I thought it was quite striking that... Um, you know, a, a big proportion of readers said they hadn't had any contact with GPs in relation to the flu service. And I wonder if that's pharmacists missing a bit of a trick there in terms of, have, you know, not having making that contact with the GP. Do, would you agree with that? Or do you think, well, no, it's not up to the pharmacist to, to, to liaise with the GP about it? I, I personally think that as a pharmacist, you should be also contacting your GP saying, look, we're going to be offering the service. I can understand the hesitation of some especially given what's been happening in the media and social media and things where GPs are, have been reluctant to in the BMA. So you can think, well, I don't want to ruin my relationship further. I'm just going to do this quietly in the corner. So I can understand why people feel like it, but at least make the contact. Um, and you never know what support you might get from it. They, a, light bulb might, a light bulb might click in their minds and go, actually, we've got no appointments. We need to see these people. Maybe we can work something out so that we, they can still meet their quaff targets. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, actually, on that note, we've just had a, a tweet come through from one uh, GP who thinks that it's better for patients to have a flu jab with a GP because they also do a medicine review at the same time. He what? says the pharmacy only wants the profitable work, not the loss-making loss stuff GPs do. I, I commented on, I think, that one earlier. Um, Firstly, well, my GP practice is offering uh, appointments one minute apart. So if you'd like to confirm to me how much of a review you can do in one minute, that would be great. But also, I can do medicines use for use just as much. And in fact, we are linking our services that we can do. So patients are getting the same experience regardless. Um, as for profiting, I'd like to see what else he can mention. <laughs> I see Rekka here looking a little bit, little bit kind of critical by that. The first I've heard of that one. Um, that is surprising, actually. Um, I, my personal experience as a patient, I've not come across that. Because if you've got appointments which are 10 minutes apart, that you are giving to a patient. In that, you do a flu vaccination. That in itself takes time. By the time you've completed the record, you've done all of that, you know, explained about the vaccine to the patient, talked about the side effects, you know, possible uh, effects afterwards, you know, etc. It takes you that long anyway. So how would you do something else at the same time, like a med review, which takes 20 minutes or more, or half an hour, um, you'd have to give four appointments then. And if you're really busy, I, I just find that difficult to believe. The other thing I, is that in terms of, um, like you said, you know, that actually making every contact count and doing other things, pharmacists do that as well. Mm -hmm. So once they're in to collect their prescription, they're being told about their medicines and making sure that, you know, everything is needed, um, there's no, you know, they're not experiencing any problems, you know, have they been to the hospital for a, a blood test recently, you know, if it's one of those medicines. Whilst they're doing all of that, they, talk, they bring in the flu. And if they can manage to do an, uh, a flu jab or persuade someone that it's best for them to have a flu jab, it's also doing the same thing, isn't it? Um, 
I think that's that's a really important point that uh, relationship building is not only the remit of general practice to do um, practice nurse or general uh, general GP sorry but it's absolutely for pharmacists to be doing um, everyone with a long-term condition is likely to go and pick up the repeat dispensing uh, every 28 days and sometimes it's a carer that picks it up and sometimes it's the patient that picks it up. And particularly for people with mental health problems mm. or learning disabilities, whoever that contact is in the month of August or September or October, I think as a professional practitioner, they have a duty to remind that person, are you eligible for a flu mm. vaccine? Would you like me to signpost you to a flu vaccine? Whether you're a carer or someone at risk. We all have that clinical duty of care to remember holistic practice, not just simply treating the medical diagnosis. So. Can I just come in there? Yeah. Yes, I was oh, yeah. sorry, we were hoping to bring you in. Cool. And, sorry, uh, I, I, I was just interested with what, what Amos said actually about the, it seems like he's, he's had like some resistance or to, or from, from general practice I mean, from from my experience, it's you know it's often been a case of whoever gets there does it in terms of the in terms of the flu jab, um, and, and as I say, who, whoever does it, as long as they're doing it safely and appropriately, I don't I don't necessarily think it's about the GPs worrying about the the, the you know it, it being specifically them who should who should do it. Um, that, that's been my experience, but it sounds like Amish, you've had a, a slightly different different experience. Is that is that fair to say? Or have I understood that right? I've, I've had a little bit, but speaking of my contractors, they've had you know, um, with my local pharmaceutical committee hat on, there's been even more resistance. And I've you know photographic evidence of letters which have gone out to people. But as Jennifer brought up, there's actually a GP who's tweeted in saying that GP should be the one to do the vaccines, not pharmacists. So it'd be interesting to hear your view on that, because what, you know, this is your own prof professional colleague saying that, not me. It's, I mean, I, I mean, it's difficult. Um, I can, I suppose it, it might depend on, on to some extent, sort of what, how much involvement they were having with the service and how much that would take away mm. From the services they they provide as well, it it's difficult to to comment on every case or whether they had concerns about about you know a communication or or whether the pharmacy felt supported. I don't know the ins and outs of why someone else has said that. It's difficult to comment without knowing the full story or having a conversation with them. From 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 what I've seen, it it sh as long as people are supported and and they feel confident to do the job, and it doesn't distract from the other good jobs that they do. And and the and the and the flu jab is communicated back because I think that's that's quite important. I can I think it can only have it can only have positive benefits. Um, you're getting a lot of nods here mm -hmm. in the in the studio, Mandy. But um, I just wondered then, like about your actual personal experience, because obviously you're speaking in quite general terms, but. At a local level, so have you had any contact with your local pharmacists about the about the service? What's your kind of individual relationships like at the moment over the service? I mean, I'm I'm relatively new to working where I am, so I've only been through one flu season. Um, from from what I've seen, the pharmacists downstairs don't administer the the flu jab, but 
obviously, you know, you can you can get a flu jab at at pharmacies in all over, really, in you know, in um, it, you know, supermarket pharmacies, etc. Uh, whether that's you know, and 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 I I see that as a as a very positive thing because obviously there are there are criteria as well for who who is a, eligible for a flu jab. But then I think there are other members of the population who who really want to to have it as well. And the more accessible it is, I think it it, it can only be be benefit with uh, beneficial with obviously the the concept of of herd immunity. It's 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 just it's just as long as there's good communication um, and and you know sort of you know we you know we would get you know if we were to get a letter or a quick note saying that they they'd had the the flu jab, I think that would be that would be really positive. And and in terms of, I think it was Kenny who mentioned sort of everyone sort of um, you know encouraging and you know as professionals to to um, professionals to encourage people to take active you know to 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 work on aspects of care and to and to to pursue their care. I mean we we sort of often put on the scripts you know please. Don't forget to book in for your flu jab. So, and 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 then the pharmacy are obviously handing out these scripts or or you know sort of dispensing those scripts often, and and they are sort of re-emphasising their message, and 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 we rely heavily on them, and and uh, and you know equally you know if if they have concerns about medication, they they ring up and they, and they discuss them, you know you know because I think if there's a concern by any health professional, it, you know as long as we talk about it. And then the decision can be made. I think that can only be a positive thing. It's better to have people looking at things and then someone saying, "Well, actually, I know the patient. I think it's okay." Then, then no one say anything at all and something go wrong. Um, and and that's I know I'm broadening out a little bit into medication reviews there, and I know this is specifically about the flu jab. But um, I think I think you know the more eyes you have, the the better almost. It's uh, it's like it's like the um, the thing on the uh, the way the airlines work, which they're trying to move into medicine, which is that you know anyone can say if they've got a concern, um, you know, and and just to raise it and, and and flag it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one area of kind of hesitancy that uh, GP bodies have raised is the issue of not having a national IT service, meaning that it's harder for pharmacists in some areas to. Uh, let GPs know about which patients have been vaccinated. And this ties in with one of the things that GP bodies were kind of mentioning from the start, which is the risk, you know, the perceived risk of uh, patients being double vaccinated and the lack of communication, potential extra paperwork, which obviously no one really wants. I mean, if we could, first of all, just ask Kenny briefly if he had any insight into why there wasn't a national system, and then maybe we can move it on to Rekha um, and Amish about how this has affected you guys delivering the service. Um, the reason there's no national system at the moment is the timelines it takes to procure any IT system. The, the governance, the sort of contracting, the procurement of that will, will, has usually about a year to lead, uh, a year to 18 month lead in time. I think my other experience with IT systems is they've got to be secure. So they've got to be compliant, but they've got to have the trust of the practitioners involved. And so um, both nationally, the, the, the providers of the clinical systems are tried and tested. 
So in London, uh, three years ago, we made the decision to, uh, on our mini procurement process, to go with a system that was already used for the transfer of emergency hormonal contraception. It was already used for smoking cessation inform, uh, information, and we were just extending and expanding it. So practitioners, contractors had confidence in it. And I think that's vitally important when you're introducing a new technical system, is that sort of confidence in it. And we've worked with that system supplier who's accredited, compliant with information governance, to embolden this system and the service, to now, for the first time, we've got real-time activity data from each pharmacy. You know, this is the first time in, in my experience of 13 years commissioning that we've ever seen real-time activity. So technology has changed and data reporting needs to come with it and the transfer of information. We've landed 12 men in the moon and brought them back again. We can share data. You know, it's, it's not unknown to share data, but we've got to have systems that GPs and pharmacists feel confident in. So we've got one option. There are several options available. And uh, so regional commissioners are being allowed to have that flexibility of having qualified preferred providers supplied. There will be a national solution and powers greater than any of us will decide that. But you're looking two years ahead in order to buy a national solution. That's a two-year wait for national solutions. I wondered how you guys have actually dealt with it in your own areas. Then. I think one, one thing uh, we need to remember is um, that even if there is a data transfer, an IT system for data transfer, that message still needs to be acted upon in the GP practice. So in London, we are sending secure emails mm -hmm. NHS, you know, to an NHS.net email address, and that still needs to be you know, uh, opened up and acted upon and added into the patient record. So I think the criticism that have come, it's actually talking and they want... They're suggesting that there should be an IT solution that goes from the pharmacy system directly into the GP system, the message onto the patient record. Now, that's going to take years before that's developed. I mean, we'd all love that, but that would take too many years. And I think waiting for this service and the benefits it brings to the population of the country actually is, and, and to the NHS actually, uh, would be a bit foolhardy, I think, to wait for that. The IT systems that uh, different areas have, and Sonar in London is one of them, they will still, they just do the actual transfer of that data, which then doesn't come in a paper form. Remember, the National Service, um, service Spec requires a pharmacist to make sure that the notification of that vaccination goes to the patient's GP within, on the same day, within 24 hours at the latest, or, you know, or overnight. So that is a requirement. So people, GP practices will be receiving those notifications. They'll be on paper if there is not a, an IT system. But a lot of the IT systems that are being used, I understand, only send a fax, an automated fax. So that is still paper. Do you see where I'm coming from? So. That still has to be managed, and I think a lot of the criticism came um, from GP leaders was that it increases the workload in the general practice, and that is what the uh, because it, they need to up, upload that information onto the patient record, and that is what the criticism is about. But that's going to take some time. At the end of the day, it's a GP system 
that keeps the patient record. That needs to be updated. Now, when we come to uh, full access to patient records by pharmacists in the future, uh, you know, read and write access, that will be solved because then we can add that information directly into the patient record. That's only a few years away, I hope, less than actually having an IT system that interacts and interfaces with each other, you know, in each, each package. And remember, with pharmacy, there's how many IT systems getting them, you know, all working similarly is going to take time. Yeah, I think that kind of, we've got um, Alistair Murray, who's on Twitter at the moment, um, saying, basically asking, can we unify paperwork across services in future years? Um, Which I think is basically what you two, of both Rekha and and Kenny, Mm. both of you have just alluded to, which is that, you know, that would be the ideal, but it's probably going to take several years to actually get there. I think the National Service and the London Service the paperwork being so different, which is causing a few problems in London, but mm. that is of necessity because the two services are different, mm. and that's why that's happened. And with the national service, uh, the requirement was that their paperwork is used. So even though all the information that it collects is still on the papers, on the forms that we would use for the London service would be in court, they still wanted their own forms used. And that was the problem. And that's causing London pharmacies a particular problem this year because they have the different forms that need to be used. But hopefully next year, lessons learned, Mm -hmm. they might go with the fact that this is the set of information we need to be recorded. How you do it is up to you. The format in which you do it and the, you know, step, you know, the the process that use that is up to you so long as it and that would be a lot easier than having a form a set form that has to be used and that would solve all the problems but then you know we never know we'll get there next year hopefully okay um similar kind of uh, slightly different note but um sort of similarly around the sort of bureaucracy that goes with setting up a service we had a question coming from um a locum who is concerned mm. that she has done some training but now she believes she'll only be able only be eligible to actually carry out the service in one pharmacy I'm surprised at that that is not true because a pharmacist does the training then they do the the assessments that are needed they complete the doc which is the declaration of competence that is declaring themselves competent Mm -hmm. they they need to make sure that they are um, signed up to a PGD that in this case is a national PGD they should be then able to work in any pharmacy to deliver the service so long as the pharmacy contractor that they're working for is signed up to deliver the service and is you know and then they have to agree to have them as a provider yeah. on their list but it's not the contract with uh, the national service or in fact the london any service is actually with a contractor not a individual pharmacist be it a locum pharmacist or a um a salaried pharmacist so if the pharmacy you're in is have a yes. contract to provide the service. If you have yes. done your declaration of competence, yes. then yes. you are... Now, some of the private PGD training, uh, the training that goes with some of the private PGDs, are specific to a particular pharmacy, yes. and they're specific to a particular vaccine brand as well, to some extent. And those are different. But for this national service, you would have got training which was not that specific. You'd have got training that covered... Okay, great. Well, hopefully that's cleared things up for Wendy. Perhaps she's done training for a a private service. Just to reinforce that, uh, I think private PGDs are very different, but if you have a declaration for an NHS PGD, 
and your uh, contractor has sought off-site authorisation, you can even deliver off-site. So, uh, yes. yes, for the National Service, off-site vaccinations are only allowed yes. to be carried out in care homes yes. and any long-stay establishments like care yes. homes with CQC registration, etc. Yes. So they cannot be carried out in, say, sheltered accommodation or in um, uh, a mosque or Patient some other kind of, yeah. Uh, that is the difference. Uh, so people need to make sure that they understand that and you need to get permission yes. from your area team before yes. you uh, do that. Any off-site with your private service? Not this year. Previously, I have. Yeah. How did it go? Very well. I mean, you've got housebound patients at the end of the day who couldn't get a timely appointment with the district nurse or GP, and so they phoned me and I've delivered. Mm. Um, well, if this we... year you won't be able to. Privately, I can. Privately, <laughs> yes. Privately, you can. Yes. Do definitely. Well, talking about kind of expanding um, the limitations of the service, I mean, you know, making domiciliary visits is, is one example. I mean, we kind of polled readers also on, on where they wanted the service to go in future, assuming it gets commissioned again. Um, so we kind of asked them if the service should include a wider range of patients, such as under-18s and healthcare workers. Um, interestingly, 72%, almost three-quarters, said yes. You know, they thought they had easy access to the patients. Only 28% feeling it would be too time-consuming to expand it any further. Reco, I believe that we picked this, these examples because they're ones that you can do in the local in service the local in London. Service, yes. So first of all, do you want to just explain a little bit about how that's been going? Then maybe we can look at whether that could be expanded across yes. the country. Um, the local London service actually covers pharmacists to uh, deliver uh, flu vaccinations from two years upwards. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the inactivated flu uh, intramuscular injection or the subcutaneous injection, that is only allowed to be, well, that is from 17 and upwards normally because from 2 to 17, that cohort, is, is the recommended uh, vaccine for them is the intranasal one. So in the London service, because we don't deliver the intranasal vaccine, um, though you can vaccinate from 2 up to 18, that's the, the, the gap between what the national service allows, Actually, in actual fact, we, we can only deliver to 17-year-olds. But there are a lot of carers yes. who are 17 years yes. old, and that is the prime target. However, the other thing is, from two years upwards, can be people or children that need the flu vaccine but cannot have the fluence intranasal uh, vaccine mm -hmm. for reasons like they could be allergic, uh, it could be because there's a porcine component and mm -hmm. religious reasons, or um, uh, they just refuse it. And then those are patient that patient group then is still able to have the intramuscular injection and we are able to deliver on that the other cohorts um, uh, are um, uh, frontline healthcare workers and this is NHS commissioned uh, services you know people working at the front line um, and then NHS England staff mm -hmm. because they're commissioning it they've they're providing their staff with the vaccine, Public Health England staff. Um, who else have we got? Uh, We've got other, uh, some other flu champions. Yes. Flu champions that uh, we want to raise awareness, you know, who will go out there and raise awareness of flu vaccines and, you know, vaccinations and the benefits. So we will vaccinate them to act as our heroes and, mm -hmm. you know, go out there and... The, the other main area that we're, we're targeting differently this year, not by the pharmacy scheme, but is prisons uh, and prisons and prison staff obviously and pharmacies could quite easily go on that journey as well mm. uh, again looking at where people need to be vaccinated is a, is a useful part of population consuming yes i think uh, 
what they say is we have easy access to these patients. That is so very true mm-hmm. because pharmacists, pharmacies are out there everywhere. You can't turn a corner, especially in London, without coming, you know, straight a pharmacy straight ahead. Mm-hmm. So they're out there everywhere. It, it, people go into them, even if it is to buy the sandwiches at lunchtime, you know. So the access that they can provide to reaching those people is yeah. huge, I think. I think the interesting thing is they're 72% looking at easy access for patients. And, I mean, this is borne out in our own academic and economic evaluation last year. Out of 136,000 vaccines or so, 23.7% of them were by pregnant women. And we have 140,000 pregnant women in London, and the recorded delivery of some vaccines is very low. And I, I say recorded delivery. And so it's... It's, there's, there's coming this time when patients and residents and Londoners are actually saying that they don't need an appointment per vaccine. They could quite easily take dovetailed vaccines. So a teenager leaving school will have a school leavers vaccine. They'll have a many CWI vaccine. They'll have other vaccines, HPV perhaps. And you know, dovetailing of vaccines at the single appointment is becoming very popular because you don't need four appointments or three appointments. You can go and have a 20-minute appointment and be fully vaccinated for university mm. or school. So, again, uh, Kenny, I guess the kind of the, the question is then, I mean, it sounds kind of self-evident why we'd have this. I mean, expanding away across the whole country, because of course it's a national service, is it likely that NHS England is going to commission th- this kind of range of patients to be vaccinated by pharmacists next year? I mean, what's riding on the success mm. of this, this year's flu service? Um, I, I think at the moment we're looking to see how efficient the flu vaccine is uh, and the uptake of it. I think that there, there will be an, an evaluation of it, how successful and, and uptake. We know, we know the efficacy of it. We know it saves lives because the people that aren't vaccinated die of the complications. So we know it does save lives. But there will be several threads of evaluation. Regionally, it will be evaluated. The patient experience is fundamental to this. If we can empower, if we can empower young adults, particularly under 65, to protect their own health and well-being, that's a big thing in the evaluation this year, mm-hmm. um, and particularly those with mental health challenges, those with learning disabilities and pregnant women. Those are big populations to try and convince people to protect yourself and protect the population by getting vaccinated and that will be just as much a part of the evaluation Mm. Um, but the number of vaccines being delivered by the nation for the nation isn't going to diminish you know we've introduced five new vaccine regimes in the last 18 months you know the volume of vaccines needs to increase and as I said those vaccination clinics 2.1 extra appointments in London Someone has to deliver those appointments with well-trained, competent staff. I think also it's not just about the numbers. I think it would be good if there was a, some way of um, evalu- uh, the evaluation considering people getting vaccinated earlier mm. in the season because mm. that has its own benefits. And, you know, that is never looked at. But if, if I can get pharmacy service delivering vaccines in September and October compared to December mm. to a big uh, chunk of my um, you know, um, population around me, then actually I've done even better. It's not mm. just the numbers, 
that is really, really beneficial as well. And I think that will never be looked at, but it would, it should be. And I think we are finding a lot um, in the, some of the reports we found last year. Even, you know, even over 65, they, people say these are easy pickings. These are, you know, GPs say um, that, you know, these are people that we would have vaccinated anyway. But actually, there's lots of them who still work or they care for, you know, grandchildren or whatever. They're busy lives. And to be able to get use the same access and convenience and get vaccinated earlier rather than leaving it and leaving it, I'm sure it's beneficial for everybody. Um, well, just before we kind of wrap up then, um, Mandeep, I wondered what your views were, what you kind of thought the views of some of your GP colleagues would be to expanding the range of patients that can be uh, vaccinated. I mean, do you think GPs would welcome uh, pharmacists taking on a kind of a greater vaccination role or would they be quite hesitant? Um. I think it's difficult to speak for all my colleagues. Um, I think that there's no there's no secret that general practice is under a lot of pressure at the moment with the the amount of demand out outstripping the supply. Um, we've also got a, a recruitment crisis, um, and that's sort of quite quite prominent within the health media as well. And I think probably we are looking at, you know, that everyone's looking at alternative ways and alternative things that people can access. So I think that there would be quite a lot of um, uh, sort of acceptance or, you know, it would be, it'd be quite, it, you know, two to, to alternative moves for getting the flu, the flu jab. And, and, it, and it is, as, as we say, the, the concept of herd immunity. And that can sort of lead to healthier populations, you know, even if people mm. who are having it done privately or, or have, you know, we're getting greater numbers of the people who are eligible for an NHS flu vaccine, you know, vaccinated, um, then obviously that can only benefit the overall health and, and perhaps to sort of, you know, even reduce the number of um, exacerbations that we see of, COPD, heart failure, asthma. So I think generally, it, it, you know, there, there would be quite, you know, a significant proportion of people who would be sort of very in, interested. That, you know, that, that's, that, that would be my initial sort of feeling. I think we're um, we're probably we're almost running out of time. So before I let kind of James wrap up, I just wanted to say we kind of started off um, talking about some of the barriers that have been to getting the service going, but we're having a few um, tweets coming in live at the moment that are really positive about the service. So kind of wanted to sort of round off on that. Um, particular love for the the London service. Um, Alistair says thank you, particularly to Rekka and Kenny for their work on the service, and says it's getting better each year. So that's good news for pharmacists who are not in London but are starting to deliver the service, that they've got that to look forward to, that they'll feel more comfortable doing it, hopefully, um, and, and share Alistair's experience. Um, and also, um, again, I'm not sure where Sashin is, but he says he started late. Um, so that kind of comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, but he's still got lots of people booked in, lots of people still to book in, so kind of feeling quite positive about the service mm. going forward, which is great. Well done, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'd just like to end, guys, by asking each of you if you just want your one kind of take-home take point about how pharmacists should be approaching the service or how they should ex 
ensure it's a success, I guess not only for them, but maybe that it's a national success and success for the, the sector. So, um, you know, Rekha, first of all, I wonder if you had like one kind of take-home point for people. I would say pharmacists, please use every opportunity you have to raise awareness of uh, the fact that you are flu jabbing or your colleagues are flu jabbing and, you know, bring up the subject of why flu jabbing is so important uh, for everyone. And I think uh, actually go out and do it. You took the last sentence out of what I was in my head ready to say. <laughs> I think it's a case of, like I said, just go out there and do it. Positive or negative, whatever people say, it's about the patient. So get them vaccinated regardless. And that's what it's all about. So just, yeah, go do it. Brilliant. Uh, vaccinations save lives. Keep jabbing. Yeah, good. And lastly, Mandeep, I wondered from a GP perspective, you know, how should pharmacists be approaching the service? Um, I think that they should always remember that they need to be supported. They should only do things that they feel confident with. And the importance of communication is, is, is paramount. So I'm, I'm just going to come back to those, those, those few things, support and communication, which I think are, are important to produce great effect. okay brilliant mandeep thanks a lot well that's our hours up so we're gonna to have to wrap up there hello hi yeah so it's just to get a quick chance for us to thank all the panelists for taking part and taking time out their busy schedules to share their thoughts with us this evening and thank you of course to activists for the webinar's generous support and for enabling this afternoon's event to take place and finally, to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining in. Thanks for all the brilliant questions and tweets we've had, and I hope you've all enjoyed it as much as we have. Don't forget to look out for the full coverage in the magazine and on the website over the coming fortnight. So enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and have a good day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.